And good evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is Monday night, November 6, 2017. We're doing Guys Guys Radio on a special evening because we normally do the shows on Wednesdays. But uh, we had some technical difficulties last week with our service provider and we're doing a test this evening and I hope you can hear me and I hope my guests can hear me. So let me know. Uh, our special guest is author and medical doctor, cardiologist, Kavitha M. Chinayan, MD. And she's going to be talking to us about her book, Shakti Rising, Embracing the Shadow and Light on the Goddess Path to Wholeness. So uh, I hope you can hear us. I'm looking forward to doing the show. And uh, here we are. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on out there in Guys Guys world, where I'm waiting for some confirmation that uh, we're actually getting through. Uh, so uh, let's talk about what's happened recently and what's happening today. So today is Monday. Here we are in New York City. Tomorrow is election day here. And um, we've got our mayor running for re-election, Bill de Blasio. He's not what I would call the most popular mayor we've ever, ha- we've ever had, but he had a tough act to follow with uh, Mayor Bloomberg. De Blasio is a very, uh, I guess you'd say in quotes, progressive. And um, he is uh, running for re-election. And I think he's going to... Uh, with a kind of a Trump backlash, I think he's going to sweep his way into a second term and hopefully he'll have a better handle on the job this time around. In a lot of people's opinion, uh, again, he had a tough act to follow. Also, we've got, uh, Trump, uh, the president is out over in uh, Asia on a tour. Let's hope he can, uh, work some magic in terms of dealing with this North Korea situation. I've read some rumblings about like invading North Korea or something. And to me, that would be crazy and tragic because, um, you know, that's a country that um, they've got a 1 million person standing army, which is a lot more than we have. And um, they, the location is not good also because it's between China and Russia And also, uh, you've got South Korea right there, and they could be vulnerable to uh, to uh, some backlash. So let's hope let's hope peace prevails. But we'll see, because it's been an unpredictable ride here in 2017. What else is happening? Uh, We're in daylight savings time. So uh, uh, my body clock has readjusted. It took me about a day, uh, which is what it's been, and I really enjoyed that extra hour. Uh, and I like it, but, uh, you know, it gets darker at night now and you lose a minute of, uh, light, uh, every day until the winter solstice on December 21st. So, uh, at that point we actually pick up a minute of light, uh, starting on the 22nd and December 22nd is actually my birthday. So I like that, that we're starting to bring in more light on my birthday. Well, this month we've got, of course, the lead up to Thanksgiving, though I haven't seen anything about Thanksgiving, although I've seen some ads with Christmas trees in them and holiday and the whole talk of Black Friday, but nothing about Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's all about Black Friday and shopping because uh, the retailers are uh, they're pooping in their pants, I think. And uh, Amazon is licking its chops uh, because 35 percent of the growing online sales, particularly during the holiday season, are Amazon which is unbelievable that one company is controlling that many dollars and they're just getting into every, everything. Uh, they bought whole foods. People said the prices were going to go down. 
not really because we shop there and uh every once in a while you know the i think avocados the price is dropping avocados but i haven't seen much of a change on anything and uh also the amazon fresh services uh i find it uh a little bit shaky since uh since the sale was made uh between whole foods and amazon but anyhow i'm sure they'll smooth that out because amazon is a a top-notch first-class organization, and they they know how to win, so I'm sure they will. Um, elsewhere, yesterday we had the New York City Marathon, and uh, I think it's up to about 40 to 50,000 runners. I ran it twice. I've run three marathons. I ran New York in 2000 and 2004, and um, I the first time I ran, I uh, – I actually trained for a year to get ready for the race. So I was in perfect shape for it. And a friend of mine said he was going to get me a bib through corporate connections. And uh, he didn't. So here I am three days before the marathon. I had done all the training. I'd run out, run a couple of practice runs, 22 miles. That's a lot. Nobody's cheering you when you're running 22 miles on a rainy day by yourself. Anyhow, fortunately, a, uh, a friend of mine and a colleague, a woman in the office I worked that she, uh, she offered me her bib because she'd run a bunch of marathons and she gave it to me. So I put it on and this was pre nine 11, 2000. So I managed to kind of slip, slip my way through the crowd between some of the runners from foreign countries. And I got on the bus and I managed to get through the gates and I ran with her chip and uh, I had a great time. And the reason why was it was a once in a lifetime experience where anybody can become basically an elite athlete for the day Two, it's one of the great marathons in the world. Uh, Boston, of course, London, of course, but the Marine Corps one, but New York's New York special. It's always special. And uh, at the time it wasn't quite as crowded. I think there was 30,000 runners. Now there's at least another 10 to 20,000 more people. And it was tight. The entire race uh, it was tight running with uh, people throughout but it was a cold day. We had 25 mile an hour winds in our face throughout the entire race. But it was an exhilarating experience. And the one, one of the things I learned was uh, that uh, you run slow when you run a marathon. When anybody ever asks me advice, I say, go out slow. It's a long, long race. And when people come over that 59th Street Bridge and they hear all the cheering in Manhattan, they think they're done. No, you've got another 10 miles to go. And... Um, I ran really slow. I ran with a buddy of mine and uh, with a buddy of mine and we, we took our time and uh, I actually ran the second half of the race faster than the first half. Uh, and I felt fine afterwards. I went out and partied a bit and it was great. What I did do foolishly was I didn't listen to uh, the advice that had been given to me is wait before you run your next marathon. So I ran the Jersey Shore marathon the following uh, April. So I never stopped training. And in that race, I was rolling along, um, and at about mile 18 or so, I decided I want to I wanna break four hours. And um, I started to turn it on a little bit, and I hit the wall at 20 miles, as people, runners often do, and I was so weak. And uh, I, made it, I made it through running the whole time, but I felt terrible afterwards. Um, I waited a couple of years, got in the best shape of my life in 2004, and ran a third time in Manhattan uh, in, in, not in Manhattan, the New York city marathon. But I, for some reason I had given somebody a Reiki treatment the night before. And I think I, instead of letting the energy pass through me, I think I let a lot of my energy out and I, 
bonked out about 13 miles into the race and it was brutal. And uh, I made it through the marathon. It was a hot day also, but my body said to me, don't ever do this again. So I decided that's it for a marathon. Uh, I think I'm going to do a half at some point, but uh, no more marathons, but it's, if you get a chance, anybody can do it. Give yourself a year to get in shape. Don't do the three month thing. Take a long time, put those long runs in and it's a great experience. Uh, you'll, there's nothing like it, and it's something you can be proud of and uh, you know, pat yourself on the back on for the rest of your life. So anyhow, that's the New York City Marathon. Um, let's take a break right now, and then we're going to bring out our special guest, uh, Dr. Tabitha M. Chinayan, and we're going to talk about her book, which is a very special book called Shakti Rising, Embracing Shadow and Light on the Goddess Path to Wholeness. And we're going to learn a lot from the doctor because uh, it's a whole different way of looking at health and uh, spirituality that most uh, people in the West are not too familiar with. So let's take a very quick break and we'll come right back and bring her out. Okay, we're back. And as promised, We've got a very special guest on Guys Guys Radio this evening. We've got uh, Shakti Rising's author, uh, Kavitha M. Chanayan, MD, Embracing the Shadow and Light on the Goddess Path to Wholeness. Let's, uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, the good doctor. She became drawn to the direct path through the teachings of Greg Good and Shreer Atmananda Krishna Menon. She has studied yoga, Shir Vida Sadhana, Vedanta and Tantra through the Chimayan mission and teachings of Sheer Primananda, Sally Kempton, and Paul Muller Ortega. Uh, she blends her expertise in cardiology, uh, Western cardiology, with her knowledge of Ayurveda, yoga, Vedanta, Tantra, and the direct path in her program for patients to discover bliss amid chronic illness. And she's a cardiologist, uh, integrative cardiologist in Michigan. So I'm excited about bringing her to the show. And I thank her for her patience because she was going to be our guest last uh, Wednesday. And we had some technical difficulties, which I take full responsibility for. So let's bring her out right now. Good evening, doctor. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Oh, good evening. Thank you for having me. Oh, so I'm so glad to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> So let's uh, let's start right at the beginning. Um, I actually uh, a couple of years ago I uh, I was running and I had pains in my left side and I was uh, when I got to, when I finished my race and I it was just it was brutal for six hours I was rolling around on the floor and then I, the same thing happened the next day and uh, the following day I went to the doctor and I got a uh, CAT scan and they said oh you know you have a kidney stone but also you have a growth on each kidney. So I went in for, um, uh, radio, uh, excuse me, a robotic surgery on each kidney uh, over a five-week period. Everything's fine. They said, basically, you have a 98% chance this will never happen again. Everything was caught so early. You're in great shape, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I go back once a year and I have, uh, I go through the MRI, et cetera. But I asked the doctor, I said, well, what caused this? And he said, um, well, it's sporadic. And I just took that to made a mental note of that. And when I left, I said, nothing sporadic to myself. And one of our guests on Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Amir Ghazwami, who's the foremost quantum physicist in the world, probably, he said, you know what, you ought to check out Ayurvedic medicine. And uh, so I went to uh, New York uh, Innovative uh, Medical Center and uh, 
worked with Dr. Schultz there and his team. And I've been on the protocol for this entire year. And I've learned so much about healing and actually the tests done on me. I was told by Dr. Schultz, he said, you've done incredibly well, like go, go live your life now because you know, you're in great, you're in great hands now. So they actually um, found ways of eliminating um, built up um, stress and anxiety and things inside me um, through, yeah. through by using magnets, they uh, took blood out, and uh, I, I don't understand quite what they did with the blood, but they put it back in. Uh, I was in front of these microcharging machines. Um, I got tons of supplements that I'm still taking to this day. But after all their testing was done, um, they found that my level of toxicity, and everybody's toxic, particularly if you live in New York, uh, was cut by 100%. And they said, you, you're, doing fan- you're doing great. Obviously, you've got to live a clean life and all that, but you shouldn't have any issues. But now you have um, addressed the issue from a cellular level. So could you talk to us a little bit? And I forgive me for the long-winded uh, question, but how, the importance of Ayurvedic medicine and also how it can be balanced by patients uh, using both Western technology I had robotic surgery. It was, you know, for what it is, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, no surgery is fun, of course, but also the blending of that with the uh, going inside really to heal um, seems like a very good balance. Whereas, you know, Western medicine is something bad. You either suppress it or you take it out. With Ayurvedic, you go down to the cellular level and you work kind of from the inside out and with your internal environment, and even with your uh, arethal body and your spirit? Yes. Yeah, well, uh, Ayurvedic medicine is really um, based on the principle of wholeness and that um, no part of you can be left behind in the healing process. You're not just your body, you're not just your mind, you're not just this or that, and uh, every, every part of you is taken into consideration. And to bring in line with, um, you know, the divine purpose, really, of life, which, uh, which is to discover, uh, which is this process of self-discovery. Um, so that is really the, uh, the purpose of Ayurvedic medicine is that. It is mm-hmm. to um, bring about a sense of wholeness and, and to the point where um, the mind and the body are in the optimal condition for self-discovery. Great. Um, let's get on to your book then. Um, Shakti Rising, Embracing Shadow and Light on the Goddess Path to Wholeness. Now, I'm the host of Guys, Guys Radio, and this is a place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And we do things to uh, educate both men and women about what can be and how men can be the best they can be to uh, make this a better world. Um, what I like to do is kind of break things down to, uh, to the level where everybody gets something out of the show and uh, can take something away with them. And there's so many concepts here. I was doing a crash course with the help of my wife, who uh, teaches yoga teachers, um, on the whole concept behind this. So could you, uh, in a nutshell, talk to us about what readers, how they should use this book, what they should expect to get out of it, and what the book's all about? from your perspective and take the thing, you know, go ahead and just talk about it for a while. Sure. Um, so this book is really a, um, it isn't really based in a single tradition. It 
borrows from various traditions like yoga and, uh, you know, Vedanta, which is a non-dual um, school or non-dual way of life, and, um, and, and as well as Tantra, um, and, uh, and brings together all of it in this path of the divine feminine, um, specifically that of 10 very particular forms of the divine feminine. Um, and this divine feminine in Sanskrit is called Shakti. And Shakti literally means power uh, or the, the life force uh, of, of the divine. So Shakti is uh, the source of all creation. And um, in, in one particular tradition that this book is based on, or one particular path that this book is talking about, um, takes 10 of these forms known as Mahavidya. Uh, Maha literally means great, and Vidya means uh, wisdom. So these are 10 great forms of wisdom. And they also, because Shakti is power, she is the creator of the universe, she takes different forms to bring, you know, life in to to bring everything into manifestation. Um, so, for instance, time and space, and uh, you know, uh, bringing the the little silent gaps between moments that causes the sequentiality, um, the the little gap between action and reaction. So all of these things are different forces that Shakti takes in order to create and to manifest everything that we see around us, including our own selves. So um, this, this path that is described here is this path of these 10 forms of the great Shakti. And what's interesting about it is not only are these uh, goddesses um, you know, uh, manifestations, or uh, they not only do they symbolize these uh, cosmic forces such as time and space, but they also symbolize the makeup of our individual personalities. So who we take ourselves to be is also determined by the specific qualities that these goddesses represent within us. So within the microcosm, so there is the macrocosm of the, of you know time and space, but how they actually relate to us is the most important thing, isn't it? I mean, we can talk about the macrocosm all we want, but what does it mean for us? That is the fundamental question. So these goddesses, they um, represent these qualities that that bind us to particular identities. And we take ourselves to be this limited person and this person with a name and a form and a culture and a particular, you know, history and a story. Mm -hmm. And that's what causes us to become um, entrapped in suffering because it's informing my identity as a separate person. Everybody else becomes the other. And right. so when there's me versus the other, we are always... In, in that kind of a relationship uh, that is sometimes harmonious, sometimes not. So it's uh, an ongoing battle that we have, you know, kind of 
uh, in life. So, so true. And and so these goddesses actually create these you know limited identities that we become very identified with, and those are the shadow qualities. On the other hand, they also ha- carry the opposite qualities, the light of each of those shadow qualities. For instance, if you look at Kali, the first uh, goddess of the Mahavidyas, she has a shadow of aggression and violence. Look all, all around us, right? We, we, what we see right now is Kali's shadow everywhere, the, the violence and the aggression and the, yep. and the uh, mindless kind of uh, competitiveness and this wanting to be on top, you know, wanting to be the, the, uh, on top at all costs. All of these are uh, Kali's shadows. And you can see how it comes from, the sen- and from a sense of being separate, me versus the other. Um, so Kali's light, on the other hand, is radical nonviolence. And how do, we, how do we become nonviolent? The most effective way of becoming nonviolent is by examining our stories that are rooted in time. And so guess what? Kali represents time, the mm-hmm. macrocosmic force of time. So when we start looking at our stories, we see that the stories that we have based our identity on are in the past. They don't exist and what we, the, the other part of the story that we create around, around ourselves, around our personas, are our aspirations for the future, which also don't exist. So neither of those exist. In fact, a linear timeline doesn't exist at all. Mm-hmm. So this kind of contemplation that takes us out of linear timeline gets us out of violence. Because in the eternal now, there is no me and there is no other. And, and so realizing this is Kali's light. So you see, when we embrace our, our shadow, when we embrace it enough to look at it, because it, unless we embrace something and say, oh, wait, I have this in me. I wonder what that's all about. We can't open to what it's trying to point to, which is the light. Um, so each of these goddesses has these opposing qualities of the shadow and light, giving us the opportunity to wake up from, from those limitations. Got it. Um, that was excellent. And I, um, it helped me. So I'm sure it helped our listeners because there's a, a lot there. These are new concepts to a lot of us and, uh, it's important yeah. that we learn, we learn about them. And, uh, uh, if you want to relate to it very quickly, audience, if you look at the cover of Shakti's, uh, the book, Shakti Rising, uh, Dr. Chinanian's uh, book, uh, Kali is, uh, you know, got the tongue sticking out and was probably, I've read various stories about uh, her being the inspiration for the Rolling Stones lips and tongue logo. So <laughs> we see it everywhere <laughs> all the time. Uh, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about something else that's familiar, and that's uh, everybody knows the concept of tantra. But I think a lot of people think tantra is about ex- extreme acts and sexual, sexually driven, and it's it's a lot more than that. Could you talk to us about? Could you demystify the concept of tantra for us? Uh, very gladly, <laughs> because uh, tantra is extremely misunderstood, um, it, particularly in the West. 
And uh, just as yoga is actually, um, you know, yoga also is extremely misunderstood. Yoga is really not a physical act. Uh, it's yes. the asanas part. The physical part is just one of the eight limbs of yoga. Right. Uh, unfortunately, most people don't know that. And, and so it is also about tantra. In fact, you know, uh, in my book, I go, go into quite a bit about what tantra is. So there is a subtle difference between yoga and tantra. In yoga, if you really study yoga, you see that, uh, you know, the Patanjali's um, Yoga Sutras, for instance, uh, which is, you know, the, the fundamental yogic text uh, for yoga as we know it. Um, it's all about cultivating discrimination between what is real and what is unreal. And so what, what do we mean by that? What is real is what our true identity is, which is witnessing awareness. And what is unreal in Patanjali's yoga is everything that's happening that, that we become identified with because we think we are the limited body-mind. So everything in yoga that we do, you know, in the eight limbs, is really about favoring one thing, which is the real, versus the unreal. So we are always asked to cultivate, for instance, if there is an emotion coming up that, that is, um, say, like anger or anxiety, then we are asked to actually not engage with it and to stand back and to examine that and to see that it's unreal. And what is real is this witnessing awareness in which this experience is occurring. So that's yoga. In Tantra, the, in Tantra, there is absolutely no movement to replace one with another. So we don't try to replace one thing that is occurring in our experience with another thing. Whatever is arising in our experience becomes the gateway to freedom. So if it is anger, then we don't avoid it. We open to it completely and see that what underlies the anger is no different than what underlies joy. The fundamental energy, the fundamental vibration mm -hmm. that is under both is the same. So each thing that is arising in our experience becomes a gateway to that self-discovery. So, so, in, in Tantra, then, nothing is really avoided. So you don't avoid one thing. You don't favor one thing over another. And, and, you know, this is actually, I have to say that these things, what I'm talking about, are advanced practices. It's quite mm -hmm. difficult for people to do that without some semblance of a, an established daily meditation practice, and a long-term, very dedicated sadhana or practice. Because it's impossible to tell somebody who is already engaged with anger to say, engage with it. Because you can misunderstand it and say and exactly. think that engaging with anger means you can behave in any way you want. It, that's not really what it is. So um, I always have felt that Tantra begins where yoga ends. But that's just my personal uh, opinion mm -hmm. about it, which is that Tantra is a more advanced practice. Now, what you see about some of these extreme practices 
are not really meant for everybody. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but in, in yoga, in Vedanta, in Tatra, we, we talk about three fundamental qualities of the universe. Um, the intelligence or the, the sweetness and the intelligence is called sattva, uh, the heaviness and that which forms the structure of everything is called tamas. And both sattva and tamas are um, stationary. They don't move. What gives movement to both of that is rajas. So rajas in us, in our minds, is this activity, hyperactivity, inability to sit still because we're always in, in movement. Yeah. Thomas is inertia, darkness, this uh, lack of clarity. And sattva is this, uh, you know, the opposite, which is contentment, a great level of clarity, stillness, sweetness, all of that is sattva. So everything that we do in all of these spiritual practices is to move from tamas to rajas to sattva. So the reason I'm saying this is these extreme practices of tantra, including the sexual practices, are really prescribed for those who are called viras or heroes. So they've already conquered their minds. They already are established in a very high level of self-discovery. And for them, these particular things are given to break the last barriers of inhibition and limitation. They're not meant for everybody. So you see, they've yeah. already been doing these practices for 20, 30, 40 years. And that's when these practices may be prescribed in certain people by the teacher. So it's really not meant for the ordinary spiritual seeker. So it is meant for a vira. In fact, the tantric texts highly uh, discourage the use of these practices by people who are not established in such a high level of mm -hmm. clarity. Well, let's, uh, let's ratchet it down uh, take a half step back because uh, a lot of Americans, as you know, do yoga. And I hear, you know, to your point, uh, a lot of them think it's a, you know, there's power yoga and there's, you know, the yoga with the hot, hot yoga. And my, my wife does hatha yoga. And it's a lot, of, I've been there and it's a lot of breathing and a couple of different, uh, positions and, um, it's a whole different ball game. And I'm, I asked her about that and, uh, she explained to me, she said, well, this is what I practice, but you know, you can practice what you want, but this is, this is what I do. And, uh, I've noticed from listening to people, particularly in New York where everybody's competitive, they're almost competitive about yeah. yoga. And uh, <laughs> yoga is about breathing, not about competition, but so many people here. Like I went to this guy, uh, uh, Dharma Mitra. He's one of the best yoga teachers in New York. He's fantastic. His energy just, he can see right through you. And he's, he's just a, he's a teacher. Uh, yet at the end of his class, he lets the, the students get up and start doing some poses in front of everybody. And it's like the soul train uh, dance at the end where everybody would come down the aisle and do their you know, do, do all these crazy dances because people are like showing off. And, I'm, yeah. and then I heard people talking about, you know, different yoga teachers and it was on their kind of yoga versus that's not the real thing. This is the real thing. And what is it about yoga where uh, what's gone wrong? Is it just an American thing where we have to just compete about everything? Or I mean, is uh, what's the yoga that's in India? What's the, what's the basic yoga that everything has kind of grown out of? 
Um, that is, is such a that's such a vast question to answer because you know um, from the from the dissemination of uh, yoga into the West, um, whether it's in India or here, for the most part, yoga has become corrupt. And there are, of course, schools where it is not corrupt, and it, you know, we are they they do stick to the original intent of the uh, of yoga as it it was taught in the uh, ancient days, and and this whole concept of you know patents and creating a whole new school of yoga based on whatever somebody has come up with, you know, um, is is very much a Western competitive, uh, you know, need to get on top, that Kali shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really what, what I see this as. Because you see the ancient sages who came up with yoga didn't patent it. There, there was no such thing. In fact, nobody even knows who wrote those things because it was not really meant like that. Um, and it's... Um, you know, of course, there's uh, there's Hatha Yoga, there's Ashtanga Yoga, then there's right. uh, there's Kundalini Yoga, and and various mm-hmm. other uh, forms of it. But Hatha Yoga actually is very um, is is uh, very closely connected with Tantra because a lot of the practices of Tantra come from Hatha Yoga, and mm-hmm. uh, there there are some of these ancient texts like the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, which which have specific asanas, specific practices that are meant to do particular things in the body and the mind with the with changing the flow of energy. Hatha is literally ha, sun, ta, moon. So working mm-hmm. on the opposite sides of the body. Um, and yeah, so um, it's, it's uh, what you're seeing is the shadow of Kali uh, in yoga, in tantra, in spirituality as well. Okay. Um, you mentioned something else I just want to touch on before we move on, and that is uh, this whole idea of witnessing, uh, you know, and anger. And I think it's really important because uh, it seems to me, and from what I have read and learned, is that, you know, part of releasing karma is learning how to change your reaction to certain experiences that kind of press your buttons. Uh, if you keep patterning the same way, like if something bugs you and you keep getting faced with that same type of situation or the same people or the same comments and you keep getting angry or whatever, it it just uh, perpetuates the issue. But if you can step back and witness and not go there, if you will, um, and diffuse it that way, you will be releasing karma. And I noticed this the other day, there's a I have a place at the, down the Jersey shore and this uh, neighbor there just really is crazy in my opinion and really presses my buttons. And she just pounced on me when I came out of my place about was arguing about putting a different colored tile shingle on the roof, something so minute and nobody else in the building agrees. And she was just on me with this. And I finally like, like I was like, stop, I got angry uh, uh, because she was cursing in front of, I have a four year old son and she started using profanity in front of him. And I just, blew up but then I afterwards I felt bad because I'm like I got sucked into the same you know that's a karmic thing I have to yeah and then I had somebody else the next day do the same press my buttons again and I had the same reaction and I had said what am I doing 
what is this about? And then I realized this is a karmic, this is an opportunity for me to release mm. karma by handling it in a different way. And now, snap, I got it. So I'm ready to get into that witness mode and just let things diffuse that way uh, instead of just reacting. And, you know, you, I like to be honest. I like to, you know, just say what's true because so many of us don't. There's so much baloney. But you yeah. have to be careful with that, too, because if it gets you angry, then something's off there. So talk to us a little yeah. bit about the importance of, uh, you know, witnessing and releasing karma that way. If you feel it's relevant to, to your book and the practices, if not, just tell me what you think and we'll move on. Oh, it is very relevant because you'll see there is a lot of reference to karma in the, in the book, including this very, very issue that you're talking about. Um, see, uh, uh, and I don't know uh, how, how familiar your readers may be with, with karma and how it's defined. And I, I don't, uh, perhaps you can talk a little bit about how you define it. But karma is the sum total of all consequences of our actions. So it isn't yeah, really... Yeah. A, uh, an action and a reaction. It doesn't work like that. Um, it, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this and somehow I'm going to get repaid in kind. It doesn't work like that. It's just a sum total of everything. And mm-hmm. um, so, uh, and, and particularly, you know, the way we create karma is, is through our reactions, which, is, which comes from our conditioning. And that conditioning is based on our identification as, as this limited body-mind. So that conditioning is what drives us to react in particular ways to particular things. So these, the issue of being pushed, our buttons being pushed, are entirely mm-hmm. because there is that conditioning. There, one, uh, at a very young age, you know, we create a condition around a certain circumstance that was unpleasant, and so, and that becomes repressed, it becomes unconscious. So every time a similar situation comes in, it pushes our buttons. And in, because we, mm-hmm. we have that karma there. And, um, and so what we do with our reactions is we create more of that. So every time we react in a particular way to a particular situation or to different situations, we keep creating karma, not only mm-hmm. with this situation, but with also all the other people who are involved in that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. every time I react to somebody, I, you know, and, and they become a part of me, mm-hmm. they par- become a part of my psyche because they have the ability to trigger my conditioning. And so they become part of that. And so we create all these karmic bonds with, with countless numbers of people whom we react to in, in different ways. And it may not yeah. be negative ways, even in positive ways, you know, if, we are mm-hmm. attracted to a certain kind of person, we are going to create karma with them too. Um, so the way to really release karma is exactly what you're saying, is to first have the ability to look within ourselves and say, what is happening to me? Why am mm-hmm. I reacting like this? As opposed to saying, so-and-so is doing that, saying, okay, why am I triggered? And, and so there is an example, for instance, in the book of... Um, you know, a traffic situation. And this we see all the time. Uh, I'm sure in New sure. York particularly, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're driving and then somebody cuts you off and, and you know, you have the strong impulse to react to that person in kind. Yes. 
And mm-hmm. if we do that, we have created karma with them, right? Because they stay with us. Even days later, we are thinking about it. Sometimes, uh, you know, this is how we create karma with uh, other people. The memory is gone. Something mm-hmm. happened 30 years ago, but the karma we created with them remains with us. We haven't released that. And mm-hmm. we are still triggered by something that happened 30, 40 years ago. And that's because, you know, we've created that bond uh, with that person. But instead, in that traffic situation or in a triggered situation, if we can learn to observe what is going on within us, we absolve the other person. Let the other person go and realize that my pounding heart, my change in my breathing, my physiology behaving the way it is, is merely a response to stress. It has nothing to do with anybody else. And so you see what happens is whoever has triggered us is no longer part of the equation. I've completely taken responsibility for my own Mm -hmm. stuff. So that's how we release the other person because we don't even think about them. You know, we don't, we have lost the ability to think about them after the fact. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at Kali, a picture of Kali, right? Uh, And there's a picture of it in the book of her in the book, she is in a graveyard surrounded by corpses and she wears a garland of uh, of heads and she has a severed head in her hands. It's symbolic of the the dance of time upon things that are gone, that are dead. So all those corpses are really our past memories, our karmic Mm -hmm. traces. And and they remain there because we are stuck in linear time, because we continue to create that karma. Once we release everybody else and begin to take responsibility for our own selves, we step out of linear time. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are no longer yep. a part of our identity. And, and so we start moving out of that. And we can't get out of karma without stepping out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Exactly what you said is it's really important to establish ourselves in that witnessing awareness. Yes. Uh, great answer. And thank you uh, for that. Um, let's uh, because, you know, the show is Guys Guys Radio. Um, why is it important for why are we in a time where it is very important for the society in general and men in particular to recognize the divine feminine in the book, you talk about uh, going way back at the origins of the planet, that culture and society was uh, uh, a matriarchy and then it became a patriarchy. And, um, and now it's the feminine is now rising again. But um, if you look at, uh, look at something like uh, the president, Donald Trump, it seems like that is uh, like the last people are. So no matter what he does, his supporters support him. And I think part of that, maybe I'm crazy, I don't know, but it's because it's this longing to hang on to the last vestiges of uh, patriarchal society because things are swinging back the other way again. But talk to us about the big, big picture of things were feminine and then men kind of took things away from women and now things are changing again. I also think with a lot of this uh, things coming out about the uh, uh, sexual uh, bad, bad behavior in, uh, 
now in Hollywood, and it's going to it's going to cross across entertainment. It's just the tip of the iceberg, but I, I think it's a tipping point. So talk to us yeah. a little bit, if you, like about that and what it means. Absolutely, and um, so you know, to 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 really be very clear, um, what we are talking about here in terms of consciousness, our awareness, and um, witnessing awareness. Uh, which is our true nature, has no gender. You know, uh, who we are, our true identity really has no gender. It, is, it has no, uh, no uh, particular um, attributes because witness, the witness has no attributes. It has no um, name, form, gender, any, any of that. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we are embodiments of that. And, and how, how that manifests, how the divine manifests in each of us is going to be very unique. So the, the masculine and the feminine are equally needed, um, you know, in, in creation, right? Because when we look at, for instance, the symbolism of Shakti, and you'll see, you know, throughout the, the book um, and in any symbolism of Shakti, she's never separate from Shiva. In fact, Shiva and Shakti are one. It's like a fire and heat or water and wetness. You can't separate one from the other. So all of Shiva's actions are performed by Shakti because Shiva is witnessing awareness. So he really has no Attributes, which is why, you know, those who are familiar with this um, iconography can 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 see that Shiva is almost translucent and pale and colorless, whereas Shakti is colorful, vibrant, dynamic because she is his power. So when, but but they are always together and always balanced. And uh, even you know in mythology, you never see them separate. So. You know, this issue of matriarchy and patriarchy is, is really one, you know, it's a very interesting study of how, how we have come to this point. Because what matriarchy does is it allows people to, be, to bring in their best into any situation. So the, the, the feminine works through surrender, and sweetness, and collaboration, and inclusiveness. And the masculine works through effort, and um, ambition, and, and drive. And there is nothing wrong with either of them. Both are needed. But when one goes out of balance with the other, that's when problems begin. And so when there is uh, what we have seen, you know, especially in the in now even in the present times is this kind of a tipping point of everything that is wrong with the patriarchy coming to the surface so for centuries it's been going on but now it's almost like the the worst of it is coming out so we yep. can see how bad mm-hmm. it's been because it's been hidden for so long we haven't really seen it and it's been effectively hidden. And I have to say, it's not effectively hidden just by men. Women have been equal or, or 
uh, have played their part in the in propagating misogyny because mm-hmm. you know this is how I've learned it from my culture and so I'm going to do this to my daughters and this is how it is so we have given into that you know we of course it was it was really um, taken advantage of by men initially but we have also played our part in keeping it alive and so anything in nature that goes out of balance just goes to hell you know eventually yeah. which is what we are seeing now where this uh, it's not like any of this is new right whether it's the no. Hollywood uh, uh, sexual um, you know misconduct or the ambitious um, agendas of our political leaders, is this new? Absolutely not. I mean, we can see this in ancient scriptures too, right? So this has been going on. It's just that it's just coming to the surface so we can see really Mm -hmm. how, what has, uh, you know, despite the politeness of our society and, and what we would like for people to see, What's been hidden under is just coming to the surface. That's a, that's a that's a great point, and you know I think we also have to be careful because uh, and being this the show is guys guys radio, uh, I always like to say that it's never been a better time to be a man. If you're if you're a good man, you're a guys guy because you should celebrate the long overdue recognition of women because it's a good thing. It's good for, it's good for men. Um, but a lot of guys have trouble Absolutely. with that. But but what we need to with what's going on now, we have to be careful not to paint a broad brush, brush that every man is, uh, you know, is, is bad because it's not true. And it's interesting, uh, you know, how Facebook gets, uh, people take something and they run with it. Well, a guy I know, uh, he happens to be, he, he's, he's gay and he po- posted something about um, what's wrong with all these straight men. And um, this was before <laughs> the Kevin Spacey thing happened. And I'm like, hey, uh, blank, um, you know, let's be careful not to say something like that because you wouldn't want it to be said about certain groups. And do you really think that, that no, there's been no sexual abuse or whatever uh, from, uh, from gay men to others or women even. And uh, he actually is the first time I've ever had this happen on Facebook. He actually apologized on Facebook. He said, I'm just, you know, because gays have kind of been, uh, gotten the brunt of things over the years i i just you know overreacted but i think the point is and the next day kevin spacey the issue with kevin spacey came out and kevin spacey you know obviously was being not very good and his then he decided to come out and uh it's really two separate issues i mean that's not you that's not your excuse it's not your form it's not your platform to come out that you were sexually abusing people uh yeah but uh uh, the point is, let's let's not when we're making this change and things in our lifetime, this particular life for all of us who are here right now, so many things have happened so quickly and so many more things are going to happen even quicker that we have to be careful not to. I want to say this the right way, overreact to the point where we paint these broad brush, brushes against whoever uh is you know represented by, uh, by either a man, a woman, a gay, a straight, a black, a white, or whatever, to not paint a brush and say everybody is like that who's like you, because it's not true. Oh, We're all wow. humans, 
And, uh, you know, yeah. the, the skin we're wearing is just a, it's skin. It's just a covering. What's inside is what we have to work on. So anyhow, I think it's an important point, particularly for what I'm trying to do on Guys Guys Radio. But time, time's running out. But I want, I think it's important that uh, if you could share um, a little bit about a good beginning, uh, a good practice that any of our listeners can begin with. And I know you in the book, you start with the, uh, the heart opener, which I've done a few times yes. and it's fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe give a, a tip or two to our audience as to a ways they can start on this path. And I, I strongly suggest uh, for our audience that they pick up this book, Shakti rising, because it's an education onto itself about a different way of looking at uh, health uh, medicine uh, spirituality, and there's a lot of concepts that are new, but the way you've laid it out, Dr. Uh, Kananian, is uh, very digestible, and uh, it's just new stuff. It's, it's new, so it's not, it, it, you know, it's, it's not easy to just gobble it all down, but if you take your time and read a chapter and put it aside and read a chapter and do the exercises, you can get a lot out of this book quickly, but if you could share with uh, our audience, you know, a good starting place. Absolutely. You know, the first thing I always recommend for everybody is a meditation practice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, because really meditation with, uh, is, is so important because, as we were talking about, the establishment of that witness, that cultivation of that witness, um, is like the fundamental thing for us for that transformation to happen where we are able to look at our patterns, our karmic patterns, and so on with clarity. And um, that comes through a meditation practice. There is a, there is a meditation practice in the book, but I also have a free meditation course on my website. It's called Bliss Meditation. And, um, and you know, I, I highly recommend that. I have a lot of people enrolled in that course. And um, every month I have a uh, call-in. Uh, we practice together. We have a phone call and we discuss various topics. Um, and uh, there is a lot of ongoing support. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, so there is, uh, there is that. And I highly recommend that. And the heart opener is a specific practice that works better when in the context of a daily meditation practice where we stand apart from our experience and just watch how everything is, happens in and around us and mm-hmm. we just take a stand as that witnessing awareness. And when we take a stand as awareness and not as the person, then our perspective changes where we can examine our experience from a very, very different stance, from a very different place. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, listen, um, the name of the book is Shakti Rising, Embracing Shadow and Light on the Goddess Path to Wholesomeness. Our special guest, Kavitha M. Chenanian, uh, MD. Please tell us uh, where the, uh, our listeners can find you, your book, your websites, etc. Sure. I, uh, my website is kavithamd.com, K-A-V as in Victor, I-T as in Tom, H-A-M-D.com. Uh, I'm also on um, Facebook. Kavita MD is the Facebook page. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a great, great place to find, uh, find me and my various programs. I am creating a course around the book with um, additional practices great. and great di- deep dives mm-hmm. into uh, all of these. 
Great. Well, listen, um, thank you so much, doctor. Um, you've been a great guest and really interesting book and very helpful book. And I appreciate your patience and the hanging in there when we had some technical difficulties, uh, but uh, it was well worth it. I was a little nervous because I had the, I had to make sure that I got my crash course in what you're teaching in the book down. And then I had to <laughs> make sure that I didn't impact the technology with negative energy. So I put some white light around my computer and uh, made sure that things were set up correctly and it's, and it's worked. And I think I got some help on that too, uh, spiritually. So uh, it's been great. I really have enjoyed this and thank you so much for being our guest on guys, guys radio. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Okay. And keep doing the good work, doctor. Thank you. Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick break, um, and then we're going to, I'm going to come back and do a real quick, uh, I'm going to do a guy's guy's guy of the week, and uh, also the guy's guy of the week. So uh, let's take a quick break, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back, and as promised, we're going to do, uh, wrap the show with uh, our guy's guy's guide of the week. It's a short one. Uh, I'm going to start with that, and uh I do a uh, monthly post with uh, Cupid's Pulse, uh, which is a great online magazine. And they asked me and uh, another uh, a relationship expert uh, who's a good friend, uh, Suzanne Oshima. She's got a uh, business called Single and Stilettos. And I've been a guest on her show and she's been on Guys Guys Radio. And anyhow, the two of us are asked the question every week. So every month. So I figured let's do a guy's guy's guide about that question was uh, somebody wrote in uh, to Cupid's pulse. And then it was a guy this time. And he was, he was a little bit concerned that um, his girlfriend was posting a lot of uh, photos of herself looking pretty darn hot on uh, social media. And he wasn't sure what to do about that. So that was the question. And um, so my response was, well, you know, I'm not a millennial. But uh, I understand uh, kind of the mindset. And it seems like for that generation, um, there's not a lot of, you know, no filter is a very apt description. Uh, they put it out all out there. If you go on Instagram, Facebook's one thing. Twitter's something else also. You know, Facebook is, uh, you know, like the match.com of, uh, of, uh, of social media, if you will. It's very mainstream, uh, but it's good and solid. And then Twitter is more... Um, you know, more about what you can squeeze into those 140 characters. But, you know, Instagram is all video, basically pictures, photos and videos, and it's visual. And they are so many people on there just show twerking. And here's my fitness routine and look at my gains. And then all these memes about working out and what that means. And uh, a lot of people like almost like defining who they are based on the fact that they're you know, lifting weights or uh, getting in great shape and everything and just putting it out there like, you know, 20 years ago, you'd say, what? Uh, but now it's like nothing because it's not just one woman or one guy. It's thousands and thousands and thousands. So for this gentleman who's concerned about his girlfriend, I mean, one, you, you can't really step on her toes. If this is who she is and this is what she wants to do, you have to, and it bothers you. Well, then you have to talk to her about it and you have to f figure out why is she doing it? Is it, uh, you know, is it narcissism? Is it she just wants to show the world, enjoy, you know, her being young and beautiful? Or uh, is it a self-esteem issue? You, you never know. 
But if this is something that bothers him, I think he needs to talk to her and find out where her header's at. And uh, then he's got to make a determination if that's acceptable. You can't really stop somebody from doing something they want to do. So if she just says, hey, uh, you know, if, if he thinks she's just being a teaser or a flirt or whatever, he's got to determine if that is that something that long term is going to work for him. And uh, if uh, she's just like wants to celebrate uh, where she is right now in life, you know, it, I, I think it's OK, depending on how far she actually goes and if it's going to impact the relationship and uh, if they're secure in their relationship. And uh, there's so many other women out there who are showing themselves off. Can't really take it too seriously, except there are a lot of horn dog guys out there who are just going to be um, uh, politically incorrect, if you will, in terms of how they respond to that. They're just just really just drooling, basically social media drooling. <laughs> so uh, you have to determine what works for you as in any other issue with a relationship. So that's our guys, guys guide for the week. The other thing we like to do is do a, uh, a guy's guy or an anti-guy's guy of the week. And I'm going to do an anti-guy's guy of the week because, you know, I'm a pro football fan like most of us are. And uh, I was watching some games yesterday, and I saw something I'd never seen before. The quarterback on Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, Jamison Winston, he actually stepped onto the field and pushed defensive back on the New Orleans Saints. And then that started a whole uh, – a whole fight. And it was a fight in another game also. And just, this is, you know, for professional sports and particularly professional football, the behavior is too much thuggery in, uh, in football. Now, uh, people, they have to just get out there and play the game. I don't care about the kneeling, taking a knee and all of that. That's, that's fine. Anybody can do what they want with that. There's no rule in my opinion about you have to stand for the national anthem or whatever. Uh, that's, that doesn't, that, that's, that's not an issue. If you make a big deal of it, then it becomes an issue. If you just say nothing, then, it's, then it just goes away and it's not going to be an issue. But this, uh, you know, this things like fighting or stepping on the field uh, and pushing another player, that's just, I've never seen that watching football for I don't know, decades. Um, so, and particularly from a, a, a high caliber quarterback, you just don't do that. So Jamison Winston, sorry, bud. You're an anti-guys guy of the week. Um, you know that Guys Guys Radio, uh, we've been around for about four years now. Um, we're growing and growing our audience. Um, you can catch every podcast for Guys Guys Radio on, uh, on uh, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you really want to help us out, um, go on to iTunes and you can rate and review us and also subscribe there. That's on iTunes. I'm also on YouTube, uh, Robert Manny author, Twitter, Facebook, and my website is Robert Manny, M A N N I.com where I do my weekly blog. And the name of the book where everything started is the guys, guys, guide to love. And, uh, it's a novel, two men competing in advertising, uh, and for love, sex, power, and money. So it all started there. So we have our next show. We're back on our Wednesday schedule. So we're back in two days. Wednesday, we've got a great guest. We've got uh, psychic author, uh, transformational psychic medium, Marla Freeze. And uh, she's fantastic. And I can't wait for that show. And that's going to be Wednesday uh, at 7 p.m. So I hope you're having a great off to a great start this week. And uh, I hope you'll join us on Wednesday. And until then, remember what I always like to say, guys, guys. Finish first.